Hi, my name is Paul Crandall, and I'm the lead pastor here at Sunrise Church. Our vision is to lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, which means our hope is that you would take one step closer to Jesus after watching this service. Whether that step is from interest to curiosity or from one level of commitment to a deeper level of commitment, whatever that is, we want to respect the pace of your spiritual journey and we want to help in making that next step. In fact, personally, I want to help as well. You can email me after the service at paulc at isunrise.com. That's my personal account and I would love to know how I can help you take one step closer to Jesus. I believe after watching the service, you're going to find that our church is a safe place to hear a life-changing message. So please enjoy the content you're about to view and email us so we know how we can help you take your next step closer to Jesus. jumping into a series, three-part series called Apocalyptic Christmas. And the reason we're working through that is uh, because we've been on a journey walking through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. So the end of the Bible is the book of Revelation. Revelation is just an English translation of the word apocalypse, to reveal, to uncover. And so when we were working through our walk through the Bible, I realized, wait, Christmas is going to land on the book of Revelation How do you talk about the birth of Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation? Well, you can, and we are, and we're very excited about jumping in to the series. And I'll explain a little bit more of what that is going to look like. But let me just start with an idea of the Christmas season. When we think of Christmas, we think of uh, the hero of Christmas, or who's cast oftentimes as the hero of Christmas, or portrayed as the hero of Christmas, is Santa Claus. Santa Claus, Saint Nicholas, that's his OG name, Saint Nicholas or Santa Claus. And you know what? I actually love to talk about Saint Nicholas to my kids during the Christmas season. We're all about Saint Nicholas. Uh, Saint Nicholas was a man who was incredibly generous. We know because of an inheritance that he received a lot of money. He was a man of great wealth, but that wealth wasn't something he held on to for himself, but he was a very generous person. One of my favorite stories about Saint Nicholas is that there were three poor girls in the city where he was, and they were in danger of being sold into slavery. And so Saint Nicholas snuck gold into their stockings while they were drying by the fire. Hmm, sound familiar? Stockings drying by the fire? So St. Nicholas, being generous, gives gold to these girls and kind of frees them from that terrible situation of potentially being sold into slavery. Now, I think St. Nicholas, again, is awesome, and I think we should celebrate his generosity, his kindness, how he used his wealth. But I I don't think St. Nicholas is the hero of Christmas, and I don't think St. Nicholas would say that he's the hero of Christmas. And the reason is because St. Nicholas was a leader in the early church. He was the Bishop of Myra, and he was invited to a really big meeting, a meeting called the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. And this council was incredibly important for the Christian churches. It was growing 
And at this council, there was a creed that came out, a creed that affirmed the deity of Jesus Christ and the Trinity. And St. Nicholas was there as a proponent of someone saying, Jesus is fully God, and we know God as Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one essence, three persons. St. Nicholas is known for teaching in his homeland and, and really preventing the false teaching of Arius, Arius who said that Jesus wasn't God. So, I truly believe that St. Nicholas should be admired for his generosity, but he's not the hero of Christmas. At best, he's the sidekick. He's, he's helpful, but he's not the hero. I think St. Nicholas would want us to actually focus more on Jesus, and that's what we're going to do. The reason as we look to the apocalyptic Christmas, and don't think apocalyptic as in the end of time, the word apocalypse means to reveal. Apocalyptic means to reveal or uncover. And that's what I'm going to try to do during this Christmas season. See, because when we think of Christmas, sometimes we think of the manger scene. We think of Mary and Joseph, baby Jesus, some smelly shepherds in a barn. And that's true, and that's good, and we should think of those things. Maybe you have that set up in your home right now, and that's wonderful. But we need to peel back, uncover, or reveal the spiritual dimension of what's happening. And that's exactly what John does in the last book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation. He sees the spiritual dimension of Christmas. And this is when we move to a scene that is not calm, that's not quiet, but one that is triumphant, victorious, one that is violent even, one that's more like a battle, a war. And that is what we're going to unpack. And what we're going to see is that Christ is the triumphant hero of Christmas. Not just this calm child laying in a manger, but he's the triumphant king of the universe who has slayed the enemy of Christmas, Satan, the dragon, the serpent. Which leads us to our big idea for today. So if you can write down one thing, I want you to write this down. The snake crusher is better than Santa Claus. The snake crusher is better than Santa Claus. And don't get me wrong, I'm not a hater on St. Nicholas. I think he's awesome and I got a ton of stories about him. I've done research about it and I love to tell my kids St. Nicholas stories. But the snake crusher is the true hero of Christmas. The one who would slay Satan, who would defeat the dragon as we're going to see. The snake crusher, that's the hero of Christmas. Because St. Nicholas may inspire us to generosity, to give gifts to our friends and family members, and that's great. But let's be honest, those gifts die out. Their batteries die. We get gift receipts because we already have them, right? Or that, that, that toy is temporary or whatever we get. But the snake crusher gives us an eternal gift, and that is what we should focus on more in the Christmas season. So let's just jump to the last book of the Bible, Genesis, or sorry, Genesis. That's the first book of the Bible. <laughs> I am dyslexic, so that makes a lot of sense that I would flip those, okay? We're going to go to Revelation chapter 12, starting with verse 1. Now, we're going to see some things that are pretty crazy. Now, I want you to think about is think of kind of pulling away the veil of what we know as the physical portrayal of Christmas. We're kind of pulling back the curtain and looking into the spiritual dimension of Christmas. And it's a lot different than the quiet manger scene. Revelation 12 Verse 1 says this, And I witnessed in the heavens, or in the sky, an event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. 
Who is this? I thought Pastor Aaron did a great job with that graphic. If you saw the graphic, this is apocalyptic Christmas. You saw the dragon kind of the top right corner. And there was a woman clothed in this kind of cosmic attire, wearing the stars, the moon, and the sun. Now, who is this? What is John seeing here? What's interesting is this imagery is actually taken from the book of Genesis. Joseph had a dream in Genesis chapter 39. He had a dream. And in that dream, he saw the sun, the moon, and the stars bowing down to him in this dream. Very interesting dream. Seems a little bit prideful, right? But it was actually a depiction of what would happen in the future. Because Joseph would actually move to Egypt because he was sold into slavery by his brothers after he shared his very somewhat vain dream that he saw. He was sold into slavery, but then he took a place of prominence because of his gift to interpret dreams. He became a leader in Egypt, and he actually rescued that land from a great famine. And at one point, his brothers, his mother and his father, actually came and bowed down to him as this leader. So that's what that dream that Joseph had in the beginning was about. The sun, moon, and stars bowing to him represented his family bowing to him, his father, his mother, and his brothers. Now, his father is named Jacob. We also know him as Israel. So this idea of sun, moon, and stars represents the people of Israel. And that's what I think is happening in Revelation. This woman in the sky clothed in this cosmic attire, sun, moon, and stars, represents the people of Israel. And right now, this woman, the people of Israel, I don't think we should read it as symbolizing just Mary, right? But it's the people of Israel collectively, this woman is about to have a child. Look at how it's described, verse 2. She was pregnant. And she cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. Now, it's interesting that the words described here to illustrate to us her pain, it says labor pains and the agony of giving birth. These are very interesting terms in the Greek. They're used oftentimes to describe persecution or oppression, somebody suffering. So I think what's being described here is the people of Israel are suffering during the time of the birth of Jesus Christ. If you know your history a little bit, in the first century world, the people of Israel, the Jews, did not have authority over their own land. They were under the oppressive rule of Rome, of the Roman Empire. And that's what I think is being described here. This woman is in pain, and she's about to give birth, and give birth, hopefully, to the Messiah to the hero that God has been promising for so long. Because this theme here, this idea of a child being born to help Israel has been in the story of God's people from the very beginning. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, that's the first book of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 3, we see after the scene of man's fall, Adam and Eve listen to the snake. Listen to the serpent. Listen to Satan. They listen to the dragon. Satan tells them God's a liar. He doesn't want good for you. He doesn't have what's best for you. And they believe this lie and they fall into sin and the world is thrown into brokenness. The world still has beauty, but it's surrounded by brokenness. There's beauty in us, but we're broken by this sin. It's a devastating blow to the story of humanity. But as God is giving out the consequences for this sin, He gives a promise 
And look at this promise. And think of this promise in light of Revelation 12, what John is seeing in the sky, the spiritual dimension of Christmas. Look what God said in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This is God speaking to the serpent, speaking to the snake, speaking to Satan. This is what he says. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring. What is he describing here? There's going to be a battle, a war, and a conflict. Between you and your offspring. I think that his offspring means demonic forces or anybody who aligns themselves to an agenda of darkness. Anybody who would want to set themselves against God are the offspring of Satan. He says a war is going to start. It's going to start today. But let me tell you how it's going to end. He says, and between your offspring and her offspring, and he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Satan and his offspring are going to wound this coming man, this one born of a woman after the genealogy or in the line of Eve. They will strike this man, but notice where they wound him, on the heel. That's a, it's a painful wound but it's not fatal. The fatal wound is actually what was mentioned before. He will strike your head. This is the promise right here of the snake crusher. Someone is going to come who will defeat sin, Satan, and death. Someone will come and liberate humanity from the oppressive rule of the serpent, of the snake, of the dragon, and he will crush your head. Israel waited so long. This promise thousands of years before Jesus would develop and grow and build to create the anticipation of what was called Messiah, hero, the anointed one of God. Everybody was waiting for the snake crusher to come. The sad thing is hundreds of years of disappointment would follow this promise because heroes would come up, heroes would rise, and guess what would happen? The dragon would get them. The snake would get them. The serpent would get them. He would tempt them. They would fall. Satan and his offspring would tempt great heroes of the Old Testament people of God, and they would fall. The great Moses, what a wonderful leader, fell. Saul, a great king, fell. David, a great king, fell. Solomon, a great king, fell. Yes, they had heroic moments and they did great things, but nobody could crush the head of the serpent. Nobody could liberate the people from sin and death and the impressive rule of that dragon. And look at how the villain comes into John's vision. He sees that dragon. Now, what's interesting is the prophet Isaiah picks this up, this idea of birth pains and suffering. And look at this, because like I said, the heroes would come, but they would fall. Isaiah the prophet, hundreds of years before Jesus, says this in Isaiah chapter 26. It says, just as a pregnant woman rises and cries out in pain as she gives birth, so we or so were we in your presence, Lord. What Isaiah is describing here is the people of God are now being exiled from their land. They're being punished for their sin. They have been bit by the snake. They have fallen and succumbed to temptation. They've sinned. They've worshiped other gods, and now they're suffering the consequences. The dragon looks like he's winning. And Isaiah describes, we are in pain. We are in agony. Like a woman giving birth, we're tormented. We're suffering. Now, the thing about pregnancy pain 
is it, it is profitable, right? It brings you a child, right? There's that moment where it's like, man, we're never doing this again. I don't know if you've ever, I've been in that room four times, okay? We're never doing this again. You did this to me. And you're like, legion, you know? I'm, the, I'm not Catholic. I brought holy water. I was so confused about what was happening in that room. No, I'm just kidding. It was beautiful. She did awesome, right? I'm in fear. After I saw that woman, I was like, I'm never messing with you. You could rip me apart. That's what I learned. Women are stronger and smarter than men. Amen? amen. Ladies in the church, amen? amen? Men in the church passively say amen. Right? Just confess. It's true. Right? But then you have this moment, right? The baby comes out and they're like, oh, I love this. And she turns to you, let's do this again. No, I'm just kidding. That doesn't happen. Nine months later, she has amnesia. She's like, yeah, sure. I'm, it'll be great. My wife, after four, was like, okay, we're done. This is not happening. No more amnesia. Uh, number four is turning three, and there's not going to be a number five. Oh. Collective sigh. I know. I'm depriving the world of beautiful children. Have you seen my children? I mean, geez. But what do you expect? You've seen my wife. You've seen my wife. Come on, guys. Right? So there is a sense of profit, right, from the pain of pregnancy. Now, this is what Isaiah says in the next verse. Look at this. He's saying there is no profit. Right? We're, we're in pain, we're in suffering, we're in agony, we're in exile, we've lost our land. The only thing that would make this pain worthwhile is if we fulfilled the promise of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. If we fulfilled the promise of a snake crusher coming, a worldwide blessing going to all the peoples. But that hasn't happened. Look what he says. We too writhe in agony, but nothing comes out of our suffering. We have not given salvation to the earth, nor brought life into the world. The promise has not been fulfilled. The snake crusher has not come. We haven't given the global blessing of God to the world. We've fallen short. You see the agony rising up here? That's why this vision of this woman is so hopeful. There's so much excitement. Will Israel finally give birth to Messiah? Finally give birth to the snake crusher? And then comes in the snake, the serpent, the dragon. Look at the next verse, Revelation chapter 2. This is enter the villain. Verse 3, sorry, verse 3. Then I witnessed in the heavens another significant event. I saw a large dragon with seven heads and ten horns with seven crowns on his head. This is one bad dude. It says he's this red dragon, which is a significant color, because in the book of Revelation, this is often the color of the enemies of God. Later in the book of Revelation, there's a, uh, a figure called the harlot, the great harlot, and she is in scarlet, and she drinks the blood of the prophets. This is a fierce enemy of God. It says he has these crowns, which represent authority. He has horns, which represent power and strength. It says he has several heads. I think this is an expression of just the, the vitality of this beast, Right? In the ancient world, there are many uh, mythical kind of creatures and, and scary monsters that had multiple heads. If you think of like the Marvel movies, you think of, right, Hell Hydra. Nobody? I had one nerd in Marvel. Right? I actually did the Wakanda thing. And he was like, that's Wakanda. And I was like, oh, darn it. <laughs> I think Hydra is, I don't know what Hydra is. They're the bad guys, right? But you know, Hydra, right? It's a it's a several head monster. And the idea is you cut off one head and more pop up. I think that's what's being described here. Is this is a fierce, strong, powerful enemy who has several heads, who has immense vitality, and who is hard to defeat. This is one bad dude. And he has one agenda, 
destroy Messiah. Take out the baby. Because he knows. He knows the snake crusher has been promised in Genesis chapter 3. Now, he's won some battles. He's won some victories. He's taken out great Old Testament heroes. But now here comes another one. Here comes Messiah. And now he has to take this one out. Look at how fierce the plot is of this very, very powerful dragon. Verse 4. His tail will sweep away a third of the stars in the sky, and he threw them down to the earth. What is going on here? Now, I used to read this as describing Satan taking demonic forces or taking angelic forces and kind of recruiting them to be demonic forces, to kind of to, to, to be his offspring, if you will. That was talked about in Genesis chapter 3. He's kind of enlisting heavenly angels to be demonic angels. I actually don't think that's what's happening here. I think a better reading of what is happening here is highlighted for us from another prophet in the Old Testament, a prophet by the name of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 8, there's a very similar description to this, that this fierce kind of creature is going to come up and he's going to sweep away some stars. He's going to throw them to the ground. And it says in Daniel 8 that he tramples them to the ground. Now, later, that vision is interpreted for Daniel in Daniel chapter 8. And what's interpreted to him is that this evil ruler will come and he will persecute God's people. I think that's what's happening here, which actually makes sense. In just three verses from there, verse 1, the people of God were described as what? Stars. The people of Israel were described as sun, moon, and stars. So I think what's happening here is this great fierce dragon, this powerful, angry, violent dragon is striking against the people of God. A significant blow, right? It says, how many stars are swept away? A third, which in the book of Revelation describes a just a, a, a dramatic blow. A third of the stars. He is hunting down the people of God, but he's got one person specifically in his sights, and it's Messiah. It's the hero. It's Christ, right? Look at this second half of verse 4. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. Merry Christmas. Right? Where's that nativity scene? Right? That probably would not be PG. Right? You're like, oh, look, a manger. What is that dragon doing? You're like, oh, yeah, plush animals, right, all set up in a different corner. I mean, we, like, we basically have this beast in a delivery room waiting to eat a child. What is going on here? This is a war. This is not silent night, everything is calm and bright. No, this is war. That star in the sky that pointed the way to the manger That was a signal flare of war. There's a battle. There's a conflict. The serpent, the dragon, is coming for this child. And the battle is for the soul of humanity. For the souls of humanity. He must devour this child because that is the promised snake crusher. The one who would come and destroy his power. Wow. And we see this played out. Right, this one scene here, this spiritual dimension is played out in the physical throughout the Gospels. Just look at this in Matthew chapter 2. I think one of the offspring of Satan, somebody who has aligned themselves to a demonic agenda, is a ruler by the name of Herod. 
You may know this from the birth story or from the Christmas story. This is Matthew chapter 2. Look at how it's described to us and we see the dragon in the backdrop of this very horrendous plot to kill the children of Bethlehem. Look at verse 3 of Matthew 2. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. The angel said, stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That's the dragon. Herod is working for the dragon. Next verse. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary and his mother. And they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Verse 16. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. And he sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise man's report of the star's first appearance. What did Herod see when he saw that star? It's a signal flare of war. The snake crusher was coming. He was a lead, uh, had alliance with who? The dragon, the serpent. He had to destroy. He had to destroy that baby. So who knows how many boys died in this massacre in Bethlehem. This is violent. This is violent. The dragon cannot let this child be born. God intervenes. The child is free. But the battle still rages on. Matthew chapter 4, Satan decides to step in just right away. He doesn't need Herod anymore. He steps in in kind of in person. He tempts Jesus Christ in the wilderness. Christ has been fasting for 40 days. He's, He's weak and Satan comes in and thinks, if I can get this one to fall, I've gotten so many heroes to fall. I got Adam and Eve to fall. I got everybody else to fall. Nobody, nobody has claimed victory over me. Nobody. I can get him too. If I can get the Son of God to sin, I can show that God is a liar and that he is not good. So he tempts Jesus in the wilderness, but he fails. But the dragon is hungry. He's vicious. He cannot let the snake crusher win. So he comes up with another plot. We'll kill him. We'll kill him on the cross. And look at how the dragon is involved again. The serpent is involved again. Satan is involved again. Uh, Luke, the gospel writer, does a great job of peeling back spiritually what is happening in the plot against Jesus Christ. Look at this in Luke chapter 22. It says, Then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot. Here's the dragon again. An insatiable appetite to murder the snake crusher. He can't be defeated. He's got to get this baby who now is a grown man. Then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve disciples, and he went to the leading priests and the captains of the temple guard to discuss the best way to betray Jesus to them. He's got to get him. And he fails again. Look at how John describes this. In one sentence, really, describes the whole ministry life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. Look at this. The dragon loses. Verse 5, she gave birth to a son, this is the Messiah, the Messiah was finally born, to rule all the nations with an iron rod. If you're kind of a Bible nerd, that description right there is Psalms 2. This is a song they would sing, especially in exile. They would sing about a king who would come, who would rule like this. That was the song of the Messiah, and that's what's being described here. The king that would come, 
to bring God's global blessing to the world and finally defeat Satan. That's who this baby was. And it says, and her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1,260 days. That sentence right there. And her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne. That one sentence right there can summarize the entire life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. He was freed from the dragon's clutches resurrected and is now at the throne room, ruling as the king. Wow. The crazy thing is that this resurrected, exalted king, this snake crusher, really defeated Satan in an incredibly ironic way. Because Satan's murderous plot, right? He couldn't get Herod to kill the baby. He couldn't get Jesus to fall in the wilderness. So I'll get him crucified. I'll enter into one of his own disciples, one that he picked He'll know betrayal. A city that would say, you're great and you're awesome. Hosanna, here he comes, would be the same crowd that would ask for you to be crucified. And I'll get that crowd going. My offspring will be in that crowd, crying for you to be crucified. Not to be worshipped, but to die. And the dragon tried to kill the child. He tried to kill Messiah. He tried to kill Christ. But in trying to kill Christ, he killed himself. Talk about irony. The cross was was a terrible, murderous plot. At the same time, it was the glorious plan of God to sacrifice his son, to take on the burden of humanity and to liberate them from the great oppressor, Satan. Satan didn't know he was being a part of his own undoing. He killed himself in trying to kill the son of God. This dragon is fierce He is strong, he has power, and he has authority, and he is a failure. He did not get the hero of Christmas. What a wonderful victory. Our great oppressor has died. The snake crusher has finally come. My hope for you this Christmas is that you would celebrate the victory of the snake crusher. That it would eclipse all of your celebration this Christmas. And look, I love Christmas traditions. I love Christmas celebrations. I love all the little things we get to do. But they all pale in comparison. They're eclipsed by the victory of the snake crusher who's not enlisting you to the fight. He's not saying, join me, let's beat the dragon. He's inviting you to celebrate. The victory's already won. He's already destroyed. He's saying, live in this celebration. I don't need your effort. I just want your praise. I don't need your strength. Just sing. Enjoy. Live in the victory. And maybe you're thinking right now, you know what, Paul? You know what I'm reminded of in the Christmas season? It's not my victory but the defeat I have in my life. I don't feel victorious. I'm not winning over my vices. Man, family gets together, and what happens? Then drama comes out. 
I think about all the ones who are not here. I think about the strained relationships that are now in the room and we're all singing, but we're not talking about what's going on. I had to get around with friends and family and we all enjoy something. Maybe we have a drink here and a drink there, but my drink turns into more drinks and too many drinks. All right, maybe what you feel right now is you feel the defeat. You feel like the the dragon has got you. He's bit you on the hill. You can't seem to get victory. Man, I hope this Christmas season you will see that the snake crusher is handing you victory. Not to earn it, just to take it. To take it. I want to give you two, two practical ways to celebrate the victory of the snake crusher this season. The first one's very easy. Tell your story. Tell your story. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, tell your story. Tell one friend or family member this season, one friend or family member, just boast on Jesus Christ. Hey, let me tell you what Christ did for me. Go in there and just start. Hey, let me tell you, man, I was a mess. This, 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 this. This is what I was. Right? Your goal in that meeting is not to give a higher view of you, right? It's to give a higher view of Jesus. Maybe as you go through the mess, they're like, wow, you're not that impressive. You're like, you're right. You're right. Let me tell you who is. Let me tell you what Christ has done. Imagine if this Christmas season, God changed the life of one of your friends or family member. Would that not be the greatest thing? There's no interest payment on those things, right? You don't have to go into debt for that. You just got to jump into an awkward conversation, maybe, right? But that's okay. If they're your friend or family member, guess what? I bet they want to hear your story. If you just came up and said, hey, can I tell you what Jesus has done for me? You're not there to start a, fa- a fight or a debate or anything like that. Just brag on the snake crusher. Let me tell you what the victory of Jesus Christ means for me. Let me tell you how God has changed my story. Can you imagine? And maybe in mind, you already have somebody in your head. And you've been praying for a long time. You've been singing holiday songs with them. Maybe you went to a Pantatonics, you know, concert with them, all the Christmas songs. That's our favorite group, Christmas songs. But you've done all that and you've enjoyed the holiday season, but you've never enjoyed the worship of the Christ. And imagine if they came to Christ this holiday season. And imagine if that started with you sharing your story. Would that, would that not be the greatest Christmas for you? Would that not be the best? Who cares about the gifts? It would celebrate the snake crusher with somebody. Wow. A second way I want you to think about celebrating the Christmas season, I, and, and I want to, to give you some time on this one. I think one way we can celebrate the victory of the snake crusher is by giving generously to our Christmas Eve offering. Let me tell you about that because I've been so excited about this since we decided this as trustees. We are giving away our entire Christmas Eve offering to our active missionaries. All of it. Because these missionaries are constantly talking about the victory of Jesus Christ in places beyond the local reach of our church. And we support that and we celebrate that. And they feel the weight of their sacrifice probably more during the Christmas season than ever because they're away from friends. They're away from family members. They've done those things, right? I just talked to one of our missionaries talking about their girls who've made that sacrifice. It's hard to get into other relationships in this new country. But why are they there? They're there because the snake crusher won. And they want that to go to the ends of the earth. So we as a church, as Sunrise, we're going to say, you know what? We love you guys. We're going to show you that. 
Our entire Christmas Eve offering is going to all of our active missionaries on the field. And maybe you're like, I don't know who those are. In the back of our lobby, you're going to see their faces. If you're wondering what's going on in the back right part of our lobby there, you're like, is there water damage? No. We tore that out because we're doing something new. We're going to put all of our missionaries on there. You're going to see them. You're going to read a little bit of their Bible. See what God is doing and what, how God is moving. Those are the people you'll be giving to. So I just want you to take some time to pray, to think. How can you be generous this Christmas Eve? If two Christmas Eve services, how can you give to that to support the announcement of the victory of the snake crusher to the ends of the earth. Now, maybe you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ yet. Maybe you're watching online, you're like, it's the Christmas season, I'll just go to church. I get it, that's cool, I get it. And I want to invite you to take the greatest gift this Christmas, to take the victory of Jesus Christ. Because friend, you will not be liberated from your vices apart from Christ. You will not find forgiveness for your sin apart from Christ. You will only know the bondage of the oppressor for this life. And then you will be under the curse of God's just condemnation for eternity. That is a perilous fate. And I don't want that for you. And Christ doesn't want that for you. The serpent wants that for you. The dragon wants that for you. That defeated foe would love your company in his defeat. Do not give it to him. Christ came and he hands you victory. Take it. Take it this Christmas season. We're going to move to our part of our service where we're going to take communion. There's going to be tables in the back and in the front. I'm going to sit right here on this front row. If as everybody's moving, maybe you feel like, you know what? I need to take a step towards Jesus. I need to know what following Jesus is all about. Or maybe you're ready. I'm, you're like, Paul, I get it. I'm ready to jump. I'm ready to follow Jesus. This Christmas season, I'm going to follow Jesus. Great. I love, just anytime you're going to see people moving, again, moving to the front and to the back. I'm going to sit right here on this corner seat. You can just come sit right next to me. And after the service, we can talk. After we sing, we can talk. But don't leave this room without unpacking the greatest gift of Christmas, the victory of Jesus Christ over our sin, destroying our oppressor, crushing the serpent. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are to us in Jesus Christ. Oh, Christ, I thank you for your victory. Man, it makes the Christmas season. Christmas is not made because we got a great Black Friday deal. And now we got an 80-inch TV for $55. No, I have a resurrected king. That's what I have an exalted Savior who crushed the head of the serpent, the one who has been biting at our heels for so long, is dead, is slain, is in the ground, no more defeated. That is the greatest gift of Christmas. Man, I love this season. Thank you for your liberation. I thank you for your freedom. Christ, thank you for coming and crushing that serpent. I lived in fear of him. I fell to his temptations. It is in you, Christ, that I have victory and freedom from all the stains he put on me and his enticements to move away from the plan of God that I fell for. But now I am clean. Now I'm washed white. And now I can stand victorious before you, Father, as one who is righteous. What a gift. 
Holy Spirit, I pray right now, whether it's people watching online or in this room, Holy Spirit, I pray that you're moving on their hearts. Holy Spirit, I pray if, if, if even right now somebody's saying, you know, it's time, it's time for me to make this commitment or I just need to know more. Father, I pray you give them the courage just to make a simple step. Just to walk to the front room and sit on the, the front, front chairs there and just be able to talk after the service. Father, I, I pray that you're moving right now. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.